recording. Oh, you were recording? I just got in the car with John. Hello. And this lady's just very leisurely. Very just very leisurely. We, oh, look at her taking in all the sights <laughs> of East Hollywood, Los Angeles. You got, do you have directions? I do have directions. I hope the podcasters don't mind listening to Siri direct me to the Sure. Geffen. We're going to the Geffen Playhouse. Yeah. We are going to watch Invisible Tango. Yeah, uh, with Helder Guimaraes. Guimaraes. Have you ever seen Helder perform before? Never before. Okay, he's great. This, uh, so I'm very excited to see this. Uh, we got these tickets today, so this is very sudden, so I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, I have a book called Secret Knowledge on order from Helder Guimaraes that uh, he recently announced would not be available till late July. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I assume... Which coincides with the end of his run of the Geffen? Um, well, originally it was supposed to be out in May. It was supposed to be out by now. Oh, okay. And he, he posted something somewhere that it's getting pushed back a little bit. Got it. So we uh, are, are, due to our schedule and wanting to see that... Well, you're leaving... I'm leaving Friday for Australia. Yes. Uh, so this was kind of your only day to see this. Well, and tickets are scarce. Tickets are scarce, yes. I believe, um, t- I, when I looked, there was like one ticket that I saw tonight. I guess you found more. Two or three tomorrow, and then sold out until after you're, you know, gone. Yeah. Um, when I looked tonight, there were three tickets available. Uh, yeah, so when I checked, someone must have, like, had them in their cart and checked out, or something, you know, yeah, one of those things. Sure. So I'm glad you double-checked. That was uh, really convenient. Yeah. So you have seen him live. I have seen him live. I've seen him um, at did the you castle. See, did you see Nothing to Hide? I did see Nothing to Hide, um, which was a fantastic show. Which is a solo show he did. Uh, at the same time that someone else did a solo show oh, called Nothing oh, to Hide. <laughs> oh, boy. Derek Delgado also did a show called Nothing to Hide, but that was also a solo show. Yeah, that was stage uh, That was stage left. Helder's right. show was happening stage right. Right. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about this. I, You know, it's actually funny. Uh, I'm, I'm in the process of writing my Fringe show, yes. which will be, uh, I assume, as good as this is. Uh, as in, good as Invisible Tango, that is. Anyway, uh, there was um, something that I was writing that we talked about. You, I was going off that dream idea uh-huh. you had pitched me, um, and I was kind of writing that and seeing how I liked it and putting things in. And I remembered that Helder did a TED Talk maybe four years ago. It was about 15 minutes of really good card magic. Uh-huh. And there was this thing where, you know, similar thing where you had three people pick out, like three people, you know, work together to name one card, you know, value, color, suit. Right. Um, which is the same thing that I'm doing. And he was and talking about... Spoiler, similar to something I'll be doing July 8th at the oh, Magic yeah, Castle that's audition. that's right. We have to talk about that. Your audition's coming up. And I, had to, I was just watching that today just to recall if his premise for that was a dream. I mean, if uh-huh. it is, then that's, you know, too much... That's a little too similar given that the, the process of the trick is very similar. Right. Luckily, it was not... Um, his was uh, just a rumination. Yes. <laughs> he was napping, and he saw it uh, that way. So, um, so yes, yeah, so I watched that today. Uh, he's very good. I'm, I'm excited to see this. I've heard uh, mostly... Well, I haven't heard any uh, bad reviews of the show. Uh, the sh- reviews I've heard have all been um, varying degrees of positive. It's been to, like, it was amazing to... I liked it a lot. It was pretty good. Uh-huh. Um, but I had a couple quibbles with it. But I haven't heard anyone say that it was bad. He's pretty well-regarded uh, technically. Yes, Helder uh, Gamaras is a 2006 FISM winner in card magic. Ooh. The story that I heard, as I've heard it, ooh, don't hit me. Good, there's no one turning. This would be great if we record a live car crash. Right. It'd be great be, for ratings. Right. And then I'll have to explain to my insurance company why we were recording while I was driving. <laughs> no, uh, going on before the story about him in 2006 FISM, um, I actually uh, had an idea in, like, November before we had before we talked about doing this podcast, I had an idea to do a podcast where uh, I would talk to people while driving around LA. Ah. Um, I actually I uh, I really like driving and I like driving people. Uh, I I love there's like this weird intimacy of being in a car where you're sort of out in like the most public areas you but can be. But you're private. But you also have this weird private intimate space. Right. Um, what if you um, had mostly comedians and you got coffee? As you did this. Sounds like a terrible idea. <laughs> I hope no one does that. That sounds bad. Wait, who's... Uh, uh, I, I believe... Isn't um, Rick Lax doing something like this now? Oh, I have no idea. I believe Rick Lax is doing some kind of driving with magicians thing. But you probably didn't want to, You probably didn't want to talk to magicians. 
Uh, I, I, well, the thing is, was I just thought that was a cool idea. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't even, I didn't have a premise as far as content goes. Right. But I just, um, I love the... I love that, like, you can be out in the middle of fucking nowhere and it's pouring rain and hail, but you're in this little metal box where you're in the center of all of it, but still very sort of protected and, like, have your own little space. Same thing that you can be in, you know, with a million other cars on the freeway, and you can be having a very personal, very intense conversation while still being, you know, a foot and a half away from someone else, but you're still in completely different sort of worlds and universes. I just think that's a cool dynamic, and I... Uh, like I was with a friend, actually, at uh, right across the street from the Geffen, um, at the apartment that I used to live in. I used to live about a minute walk from the Geffen when I was at UCLA. Oh. Uh, and my friend and I were standing outside of my car, just chatting. We had had dinner or something, and I was about to leave. We were just talking outside of my car, and there was this homeless guy at the gas station across the street who was like kind of yelling at people as they walked by, and it kind of looked like he was, you know, not too far away from maybe being like violent or something. Uh huh. And so, you know, anyone who's seen me, I don't know if people think that I'm the kind of guy that would, you know, be able to win a fight, uh, but they would be right. I'm a, a very fierce warrior, uh, <laughs> strong instinct. Anyway, so she started kind of coming across the street, not necessarily towards us, just in our direction. Right. And so, like, we're like, oh, we're going to get in the car. So we just kind of got in my car and locked the doors, and, like, I've never felt more safe oh. by, you know, a, t- a quarter of an inch of glass and a metal door. Right. And I was like, cool. You know, this it's not, this guy's gonna break my windshield or anything. Right. So, uh, and that man, Harry Lorraine. <laughs> uh, but anyway, back to my story about Helder. The story I heard was that in 2006, when he competed at FISM, he was almost disqualified because the judges had assumed that he had used uh, a stooge in the audience to do the trick. Oh, he, he had done the big sort of the big finale to his FISM act. And they gave him a chance to explain his uh, ex- explain away what had happened, uh, because I think they maybe learned their lesson. I believe there was a story, a similar story with Leonard Green, where Leonard Green was disqualified in the '80s, and then three years later he did the same act. But at that point, it had been made very public and clear that he was not using the stooge. Right. Um, who I think the idea was that he'd been, uh, stooges had been doing false shuffles for him at his tables during the competition. Uh. That was the theory. And so then he came back three years later, did a similar act, but it had been very public knowledge, and then won first prize. Pretty cool. And so I think, so Helder found himself in what I've been told was a similar situation, but then the judges basically pulled him aside, had him reveal to them what the method was. He swore them all to secrecy, and upon finding out that there were no stooges, which is against the rules, per FISM rules, um, was then awarded first prize. And that act is very cool. And I can see why anybody watching it would assume it was a stooge. And then Nothing to Hide is like 2012-ish? Something yeah, 2000, I think fall of 2012, which is, uh, yes. And you saw that at the Geffen? I saw that at the Geffen, yeah. Um, then I went to New York for a while, which I, and I, of course, I didn't I didn't follow it there. Same, uh, um, in and of itself did the same thing. It was the get, went from the Geffen to um, Off-Broadway in New York, where it ran for God, a long time, like a year. Yeah, and that's when everyone in New York thinks thinks that they're all cool for discovering this show. Right. When, like, a year later, we were like, we saw it out here. Right. Um, fuck you, New York. Yeah, fuck you, New York. <laughs> we're passing the uh, Quentin Tarantino's uh, New Beverly Cinema. Is that his theater? Yep, he owns that oh, theater. Oh, I did not know that. That's why Friday at Midnight, it's playing Death Proof. Oh, is it? Uh, they play a lot of his on the weekends, sure. like uh, Death Proof. Arguably, arguably my least favorite Tarantino movie. Um, is Death Proof just the second half of the one? Yes, the first half is Robert Rodriguez. Oh, I like Death Proof. I don't like the first half very much. Um, I find the first half boring. Yeah, it's very very slow. Uh, how are you on Tarantino? Are you a Tarantino fan? I, I he like stri- him. He strikes me as someone that you would not like. Oh no, I do like him. I just wish he wouldn't appear in his own movies. Okay, but. But everybody's got a fatal flaw. You know, Lin-Manuel Miranda insists on singing in his own material. Right. Uh, Quentin Tarantino insists on acting in his own material. Right. And really, they're so good at everything else about their crafts that I kind of am like, well, you just got to indulge them. Um, how do you think... Uh, so, uh, how, how do you feel about uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Uh, I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, so am I. Yeah. Uh, um, I really liked... Um, Django, I really liked. I love Inglorious Bastards. Love Inglorious Bastards. I love Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Um, I like Pulp Fiction. I like Jackie Brown. Mm-hmm. I saw. So when yeah, I was so I like guess when you thirteen say, or fourteen, and I kind of fell in love with like Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, all like the cool move. You know. Yeah. Uh, I watched Jackie Brown, and I think that is 
different, so different from the others. Yeah. That it wasn't like it wasn't the kind of movie that a thirteen year old who loved Tarantino should watch. I should go back and rewatch. Jackie Brown's like very it. enjoyable. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like you know, he's from a mindset where. He uses the N-word too much. Right. He thinks it's very cool to do so. I I was just... And, and, you know, there are people like Samuel L. Jackson and stuff who will, you know, stand up for him and defend him on on those sorts of things. Um, And and I don't come... Like, the use of it in in a movie like Django, I don't have a huge opinion on that. But I was just watching Pulp Fiction on TV a few weeks ago Uh uh, on, like, HBO. And he's like, is there there a sign in my house that says... Right. Uh, That's exactly the scene I was thinking about. (laughs) And I was like, wow, I don't know if you can make that today. No, and I... For anyone anyone who doesn't know that scene, which I'd be shocked to hear, but uh, he shows up in the scene. Samuel Jackson and John Travolta have just pulled into his garage after accidentally shooting Phil Lamar in the face. Um, This is not a big spoiler, I promise. Uh, Phil Lamar is a very minor character. And uh, and then so they're like they pull out pull into their like old associate's house. They're like we need to get off the road right now because our car's covered in blood. And he's very angry and he has this long rant about like, did you see a sign on my garage that said dead N word storage? And they're like, oh, no. And he goes, right, that's because there is no sign. And then he uses that word a lot. And that looking at it now, I'm like, oh boy, I don't know if you can do that anymore. I think that he because he he gives himself those lines and in some way I can understand that because it's like if anyone's going to sort of bite the bullet and say these things it'll right. be me I wrote them I'm responsible for them but he's not a good enough actor to feel like anything except like the writer felt very clever and like was sort of giggling about how edgy it was going to be right I mean it. and I think we can agree that the worst one is when he shows up as an Australian in Django right yes that's that's like again they say that when you make like a tapestry that you can't make it too perfect because it will offend God <laughs> and you must sew a flaw into your tapestry and so that's what I, I accept these moments as the flaws that keep God from striking Quentin Tarantino down um, so in that case it's, it's fair I, I will say probably because I, of knowing you and seeing your Facebook and also just because of the sort of the cultural world we live in but I think a lot of it does come from me knowing you is I certainly just notice more uh Racial things. <laughs> this happens to. It certainly happened to my husband Eric, who's right. much more conscious of racial issues now that he's married to me. <laughs> uh, and, and you're very outspoken on like Facebook about these kinds of issues. And I don't necessarily, you know, depending on the issue, I like like with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm very excited for it. It's gotten some great reviews after the uh, Cannes Film Festival. Yeah. Um, I guess got like the six minute standing ovation. Uh-huh. But that being said, I watched the trailer and I go, "This is a super white movie." Yes, yes, um, yes. And I, you know, a year ago, I don't know that I would have noticed that necessarily. I mean, honestly, a year, maybe, maybe even three years ago, I don't know how often I would have noticed this because mm. I like Six Feet Under as much as anybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's it's not that I think that people shouldn't have all white casts. I mean, I'm directing a play with six people in it, and they're all white. We're about to go to Sydney, Australia yeah. to perform it. So who's really the oppressor? Uh, Me. <laughs> but I do think that in general. Uh, especially when TV and movies, TV and movies that are trying to represent real life. For example, it's laughable that Friends is so white, and and that they never, they rarely encountered people of color. Right. I did see some statistic that there's like a single digit number of like black women that show up on that show, or something yes. like that. I, I don't and know they're exactly living what it is. in Manhattan, I believe. Right. Right. So so there's times where it's like this is. You're, you can't say you're representing reality. You're representing right. a skewed version of reality that happens to be extremely white. I think Seinfeld has the exact same problem. Yes. Um, and so th- those aren't things I noticed when I watched Friends and Seinfeld back in the day. I don't, right. I don't think very many people noticed it. I think people... It's funny. People took more offense at the size of their apartment. <laughs> I remember people being right. like, that's oh, not believable. I've heard. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, just speaking of which, we're passing Oriental Silk Importers. On uh, what road are we on? Beverly. Uh, we're on Beverly. Yeah. Yeah. We're Have you been to the Geffen a lot? Um, yes, because uh, this is what a fucking nerd I am. Um, my senior year of college, for my birthday, I got myself like a hundred and thirty dollars subscription to um, season subscription to the Geffen Playhouse because it was a minute a wa- minute walk from. So I saw like I got tickets to see like five or six shows there. Oh. Rain, Man- Rain Wilson did a one man show there. Oh, uh, Tom Payne. Tom Payne. He did Tom Payne. How was there. that? Uh, it was good. It was it was uh, bizarre. Um, 
I didn't know what I was expecting, uh, and then I saw this. But I saw this real. The, the best thing I saw was this play called uh, Barcelona. That was really good. What's uh, that about? It was about this uh, man, like this older, not older, um, uh, like fifty-something-year-old Spanish man in Barcelona, and he basically has just had a one-night stand with this, you know, twenty-something mm-hmm. white woman from America, and they, they kind of taught, and like she, you know, you find out she was like she cheated on her. Uh, Fiance in doing so, and 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 they sort of explore like the cultural differences between the two of them in the aftermath of just having had sex, uh, you know, and sort of it was really good. It, it's hard to describe. It's uh-huh. certainly sort of a character um, exploration, and uh, you know, sort of an exploration of the cultural differences between these two people, and it was very very good. Um, so Helder. Oh, and I saw, of course, yeah, um, all these magic shows, Christmas Carol. Oh, that's where Christmas Carol was? Christmas okay, so Carol's I've, the Geffen. So I've recently been to the Geffen yeah. then. <laughs> we're, we're, this is the other theater, though. They have two theaters. Okay. Oh, and one of my favorite shows of all time, Play Dead, was at the Geffen in the smaller theater, starring Todd Robbins, directed by Teller. Teller, okay. Yeah. Um, and so is this the same theater that in and of itself was in? Yes, I believe okay. all of the magic shows have been in the smaller theater. Okay. There's the... I would love it if we get there, and there's, like, a brick in a window... <laughs> There's just six things, and he just make, tells like parodic stories of just like, yeah. Well, lots of people have gay parents. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, Helder's more known for close-up magic. Am I right? Uh, or does he do stand-up? Yes, he he is a uh, mostly he is famous for his card magic. Okay. He, he does some stand-up. I mean, he did the parlor at the castle a couple times. He's won parlor of the magician of the year twice, oh, okay, I believe. Okay. Or if not twice, at least once. That's probably been before. Am I wrong in remembering that the Derek Delgadio portion of the show that had card magic, there was a projector? Was there a screen? Yes, there's a projector pointing directly uh, down at his hands. Okay, because um, so. that's a common solution, seems like, these days for people to do. Mm-hmm. Um, ben Hart, who I saw do the nutshell at Edinburgh Fringe last year, had a an assistant with a video camera that actually moved around several different spots. Oh, cool. Uh, he will be back with that show in Edinburgh, so we can see that. Um, uh, you know, that's one way, I guess, of going taking your close-up magic to a bigger mm-hmm. audience. Right. Um, a lot of the people I know who do cruise ships, uh, you know, because when you do a cruise ship, you usually have to have two different full shows, uh-huh. like two different forty-five-minute shows you're doing twice. You know, that you're doing on that those ships. Yeah. And uh, that's a lot of material. So the people that a lot of the people I know will have a maybe a six-minute segment in those shows where they do um, close-up magic projected. And I will also, I, I, I would feel remiss if I didn't quote Simon Cornell, who has a very interesting take on that particular issue. I believe he does it as well. He does not refer to it as close-up magic. To Simon... Uh, he's, oh, I believe I've heard him talk about have, this. Um, have I said, have I told no, you about this? No, on maybe a oh, podcast with Nick. Am I, if, I'm, if I'm plagiarizing from Two Magicians and One Mike, I apologize. But um, if you're t- sick of hearing about Two Magicians and One Mike... And you're sick of hearing Simon Cornell. You can just listen to me say his things here. <laughs> um, no, they're great. Uh, but his the idea is that, or what Simon told told me, he said, close up magic is magic when you that can be experienced by a small amount of people, you know, in person. Something that for for ten to fifteen people, uh, where you can like sit at a table or something. That is close up magic. When you are doing magic on a big stage, it is no longer close up magic. It might be done with cards and coins, but it is still stage magic. You are still on a stage. There's still a large audience that is not close enough to be able to watch that directly with their own eyes. Yeah. And the reason he has that philosophy or that uh, that take there is because he thinks that, rightfully so, that when people say they're doing close up magic and they just stick a video camera on it, what they're doing is they're discounting many other factors they need to consider in making that entertaining, such as lighting, such as scale, right? Such as have you know. Camera angles, camera shots, stuff like that, um, and and so when you refer to it as anytime you're on a big stage, you're doing stage magic. It sort of opens you up to paying more attention to the idea of the other types of variables you have to account for to make it a pleasing experience. Yeah. Well, um, a couple interesting, because I think about that a lot, and you see a lot of magicians handle it in different ways. Some of the most graceful. Uh, solutions to that problem that I have seen, one of which is Darren Brown on one of his specials. I can't remember which one. It's on Netflix. 
Hmm. Um, I can't remember the name of it. He has so many of those specials, you know, those like theater touring shows that he uh, that he's done. As I can't remember. I think he has one that's like something wicked. This way comes, maybe. Maybe. Or, I know that's a Harry Potter movie right. as well. <laughs> um, uh, is it Zealot? Is that a Darren Brown? Zealot show? is where he isn't that where he tried to be like a faith healer thing or no? Yeah, I think so. I, I, at any rate, he's doing a stage. Um, He's doing a show in a theater. Uh, maybe honestly, during the uh, when we're in the lobby, I'll probably look it up and tell people in the second half. You should tell <laughs> Helder mid-show. Right, I'll yell it to him. But what's interesting about that was he was doing some sort of personal stuff with people on stage, and there was a projection. But the projection was just sort of the entire back wall of the stage. So to be able to see that projection, you had to look through what was actually happening. So you couldn't really divorce yourself from what was actually happening on stage. I see. Which was, I think, very graceful. Another one was last year at FISM when a lot of these close-up guys were doing these um, one-man shows and, you know, 800... They were doing twice during the week and they're like 800-seat theaters. And, you know, uh, so they were giant, really big theaters like these close-up magic shows. So Juan Tomarez is doing an hour-long card magic show. So Juan Tomarez, what he did was he had this projector set up, but the only, and he, of course, he's a very, he's famous for how exuberant he is, what a fun performer he is. So he's doing lots of interaction with people and lots of silly things. But the camera, um, he brought his, first off, he brought his own camera. Um, he brought his own little screen to project. He kind of brought all that stuff, uh, his own little projector, which I think is smart to have it completely self-contained. Mm. So you don't have to rely on the theater, their system, their camera. And what he did was he set up the camera so that the only thing that would show up on that projection was his hands and the cards. Mm -hmm. So that any time that there was some sort of uh, setup or building or or any kind of entertainment that was happening, you had to watch him. Uh And then anytime you needed to see small details with the cards, then you could watch the projection. But sort of the, the interactions where he's building his character, those are all happening live and you have to sort of watch him. I think that was another graceful way of doing it. That way you weren't just watching TV you know, right. with a bunch of people. Penn and Teller have a great routine about that as well. I did just think of a good uh, comedy routine that I can do with this, where I've always actually wanted to do a projection of like a comedy, like movement piece, mm-hmm. where the premise is that it's a projection of what I'm doing and that it then diverges. So then what I think what I'll do is say, you know, I have this projector and I'll, that way you can see the cards from a longer distance mm-hmm. but it'll actually be Ed Kwan doing the uh, ah, and eventually funny. I'll just like stop moving my hands on the desk and he'll continue doing like all kind of crazy flourishes on that's the video um, David and Lehman back in the day I mean 2015 2014 did a uh, show at Magic Live and one of the bits was them doing something similar where they yeah it was their hands at a t- it was like Lehman was sitting at a table um, what is that that just ran across the street that was a cat. <laughs> that was a big cat. I thought it was like a, a small... This, you know, this would be a great... That was a big cat. Are you kidding me? Yeah. This would be a good... Uh, also a good, like, sci-fi premise where it was, like, people just recording a podcast in a car and then suddenly, like, they see an alien. Right. And then... The, the audio equivalent of, like, Cloverfield. Right. I think what you're talking about is uh, War of the Worlds. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Or uh, Welcome to Night Vale. That one I do not know. Uh, so... Oh, so Lehman and they were... Oh, yeah, so he... he uh, They wanted to do a card trick at a table, so they put turn on a projector, like an overhead projector, where you can just see the, um, Lehman's hands. And, you know, slowly you realize that it's just a video and it's not actually doing what he... And, he's, and then he keeps taking his hands out of frame and putting them back in, and every time his hands go back, it's like someone else's hands. Uh. It's like a black person's hands. And then it's like two bear claws. And he's like, yep, still me, and I'm just going to cut the cards. And it was really funny. Well... That's basically the same idea as what I just had. Yeah. Yeah. That won't stop me from doing it. No. <laughs> Nor should I mean, it. In the magic field, why would it? <laughs> uh, <ooh. laughs> I mean, um, seriously. No, yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> so what are you expecting from the show? Um, what are you what what are your thoughts going into this? We're about I ten think, minutes away. I think that it will be uh, oof. I, I think that this will not have a lot of thematic um, cohesion. I, I think he will not. He, I think he will zig away from the Delgadio school. Uh-huh. I don't think that he's going to try to build in a lot of like personal stories or have us feel that sort of 
theatrical connection to the piece. Mm-hmm. I think it will be a little more standard, but elegant, high-end right. card magic. That's what I'm expecting. That is not entirely out of place with a review I read, I believe, in the LA Times um, that said something similar, that they kind of wished it was more theater-y, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I've been told the entire show is... Uh, card magic and card tricks. Uh-huh. I don't know if that's a spoiler for you. I'm sorry if it is. Nah. Uh, so I mean, it might be a preview of the stuff I'm getting in my book. So that's true. That's true. <laughs> you can walk up to him afterwards and be like, "Um, unsubscribe." Yeah. Well, also, I need to clarify this, but I'm pretty sure the book doesn't let you do any of that stuff. There's a, there's a more restrictive than usual agreement oh, right, agreement right. with this book about what you're actually allowed to do. Right. Um. Or it's something like if you want to perform it in public, you have to get permission. Or so. you know, I feel like most magic books are pretty much the horses out of the barn once you buy the book, and you're pretty much able to do that stuff. Uh, yes, that is so, definitely definitely the uh, default. And I think it's very difficult. It's a very difficult proposition to think that you'd publish methods and then expect people to not use them. <laughs> I have seen that one other place that I can remember. And that was I think we think we have we talked about this on the podcast before. We if might we have. have, yeah, we might. Have. Sorry, folks. Um, David Sousa, who uh, won FISM in I think 2006 and as well in manipulation, maybe 2009. Um, I think 2006. At any rate, great manipulator, really cool manipulation act. I think it's on YouTube, and he put out a DVD. This kind of did make sense because it was his FISM act. But he put walking through step by step of all of his entire FISM act with a caveat that basically said, you can't, I'm not giving you permission to do this act or do exactly the things I'm doing. What I wanted to do was give you the knowledge on how this stuff works. And there's some black art in there. There's, you know, a lot of different techniques. And he wanted to basically say, I wanted to share with you this information. That way you could sort of take it and build upon it. But I don't want you to just do what I'm doing. To the point where the finale of that, so the first thing he does, in, you know, the, the act is he takes off his gloves. Um, and then he throws them on the ground. They turn into a ball that... Oh, yeah, he has a scarf that he produces the cane from. And he takes his gloves off, throws them on the ground. They turn. They bounce back up to his hands as a ball, which screws into the top of the cane to kind of complete the cane. And then the end of the uh, the show is he, like, he's taken off his hat. He takes the hat and he puts it back on. And in the process of putting the hat back on, uh, or sort of, you know, kind of elegantly sort of covering his face with it, he, for a second, split second, covers both of his hands, and in that process, his gloves reappear back on his hands in a mm. really cool way. And he even ended this instruction of the act by saying, um, I could not think of a way... I could not think of a, a way to give you the method... Or what was it? He's like, I, I couldn't uh, think of any other application for this method besides making gloves appear back on your hand the way I'm doing it. So I've respectfully chosen you know, to, to not... Uh, put that on the DVD because I can't think of another application for it. Uh-huh. Um, and because I, you know, in line with what he said at the beginning, he chose not to put that on. Right. Interesting. Um, and then people were like, I only bought this for the Glover store. I mean, the Glover store was my favorite part. <laughs> so I'm not saying that's the only reason I bought it, but it was certainly a consideration because it I was mean, a cool moment. Was it like, was there a warning on the ad copy that's like, hey, if you're looking for that Glover store, don't buy this? I don't remember. I, I would hope there was. Uh, this um, is Manning. This is Manning. I guess what I would say is that if you really don't want people to copy your stuff, don't publish it. And and you kind of have to sacrifice, like, you don't get to get money for your methods if you don't... You know what I mean? That's, that's the exchange you're making. Right. And you can also choose to not release them, and that's... I, seem, I think that's fine. Uh-huh. I don't know. There seem to be different schools about that, because some people also... F- seem to feel that you're kind of like um, not contributing to the community if you don't sort of share your developments with other people. Right. Uh, but then again, this isn't research science. It's not <laughs> cancer that we're <laughs> keeping our knowledge back about. It's it's gloves appearing on a hand. Right. Well, if you do your show well, they do say laughter is the best medicine. That's true. You know. Uh, and it sounds like his act was all about the laughs. Yes. Um. <laughs> all yuck yucks. These houses are too nice. They're beautiful. Brentwood <laughs> is such a nice area. Oh, this is Brentwood? Uh, or in my Westwood, wherever we are. Yeah, Westwood. Yeah. I never quite know the difference between Westwood and Brentwood, but um, I love this beautiful neighborhood. Yes. Um, very wealthy. Turn right, stay on the uh, I mean, they have a very nice yard, 
tree swing that house. I yeah. mean, this looks like a museum and it's a house. Yeah, it does. It looks like a Victorian. That looks like I would tour that house and learn about where Susan B. Anthony lived. Right. Like, and this is where she decided to vote. Something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's how it happened, too. Yeah. And there's a Humvee. And that's a real one, not a fake one. Right. I mean, not a commercial one. That was an actual Humvee. A bit excessive. Um, you went to this college. I went to this college. We are on uh, Hillgard, right next to UCLA. What did you study here? I studied history. Um, and did you come here right out of high school? Uh, you know what? I'm in the wrong lane. What? Did you come here right out no, of high I school? No, I did not. I went to community college for two years. And then I did two and a half years at UCLA. Ah, so you finished that. up here. Yes. The cheaper way to go. Cheaper way to go. Um, I assume you then you come out with less student loans. Yeah, still plenty of student loans, though. <laughs> Imagine if you're all four years. I yeah. know. Still more than, from what I recall, you paid in all four years, in just two years. I, I, I had, took out about 50 grand in student loans. Oh, more than I paid? In four years of college. Yeah, I mean, I'm a lot older, and I got a, not to brag, full ride my senior year. Oh, wow. I got the Keenan Scholarship at the North Carolina School of the Arts, given wow. to one student, full ride with a $1,500 stipend. All right, now we have to look for parking. It's right on this Let's block. talk more about my college achievements. <laughs> <laughs> Update, Chris was no help in us parking, find, help finding parking. Oh, yes. Um, so if we, we can find, oh, hell yes. Okay. Bam. Wow, that was great. Now I just have to hope that the, we can park here long enough. I hope like the uh, dang the meter. Oh, like it, hopefully it runs out. Yeah, like the, the show. meter nice. runs out of like eight. Well, or by something. the way, this show is only eighty minutes long. Oh, okay. So so that'd be like nine twenty. So we could be out. We could be back at this car in two hours. Which yeah, is what I assume. If the, this uh, lets us do two hours, yeah, we're set. Um, I don't see any signs. I see an annoying green sticker telling me to pay via an app. By the way, what are you expecting from this show? Um. Where do you have the review? Well, okay, I, I know that you know you should never create a show necessarily to please other magicians, and mm. other, but he's a really smart guy, and he has some brilliant methods. And, I, and every time I see his new material, I'm always blown away by some of the strong methods. Mm-hmm. So just the magic nerd in me wants to see some really, really creative and interesting card magic that fools me, which I'm almost positive I will see. Right. So I don't think that is a high expectation. I don't think that's a difficult you, expectation you for him to, to be meet. met. Yes. Yeah. Um, if there is something theatrical, if I do leave wanting to talk about something other than just the nuts and bolts of the magic, awesome. That's yeah. that's what that's. Uh, I'm very excited about Similar that. Similar to something I read recently, I, th- I expect that this will be the highest example of we'll want to talk about the tricks... I don't expect to be wanting to talk about Helder when we come out of this. You know what I mean? Like, a lot of people saw it in and of itself and want to talk about him and his story and then mm-hmm. also talk about the tricks. Right. I, I don't have that expectation going into this. Okay. How, how do you feel on that line? Um, I... Well, look, I mean, this still does have a creative team. It does have, like, a director. That's you know, true. Moby did the music, if you didn't oh, know that. Oh, that's right. Um, Moby. So Natalie I, Portman's best friend. Yeah. Are they best friends? No. Do they hate each other? He said that they dated, and she was like, I was 18, and you were a creep. Oh. This happened recently. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, she's yeah, having... Uh, oh, yeah. She's having negative run-ins with people. Uh, and studios. Anyway, um, so, yeah, I, I, they've clearly made an effort to make this a more theatrical type of magic show. Yes. The photos I've seen of the set have been really beautiful, but I think it still will be a card magic show. Um, but if it's done well and done really uh, at a very high level to a, a theater-going audience... And it represents magic well. Then I'm 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 a happy I'm a happy guy. Cool. Well, we're gonna check in after the show's over on the way home, and give you our post show car drive. Goodbye. All right, we're back. Uh, we are in the car, literally just driving down Leconte Avenue from having left the Geffen. Um, we just saw the show. Also, uh, a happy accident. Oh, there's Google Maps. Um, a happy accident that I had forgotten about is that every Tuesday, which is tonight when we're seeing the show, they do a talk back after the show, um, yeah. which I had not planned for. I'm, I'm even more glad that we both got to come tonight and that you, uh, you didn't end up going tomorrow. Um, yeah, well, I mean, and it's three hours later because we spent the whole Q&A being like, how'd you, how'd you do this one? Right, right. And, and he would tell us, he of would course, tell us. and we would write it down, um, and we'd we'll go over be, the handling. We'll like, is that Royal Road, or is it Erdnace? And for some reason I asked in this voice, this character yeah. voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was um, very aggravating. And then I revealed myself to be S.W. Erdnace at the wow, end. Wow, is that you? Yes, it's oh, been man. me the whole time. Oh. <laughs> Jason England, 
You found me. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> this is the way that I weasel my way into Jason England's arms. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you you said you had something non-spoilery to ask me. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, do you want to talk about the uh, uh, oh, non-spoilery? Uh, I had something kind of spoilery. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I wanted to ask it in a non-spoilery way. Oh, yeah, First yeah. off, I'll say I enjoyed the show. I did too. Um, I, I think it. this is the kind of magic show that I don't know how to describe, but I kind of dream about in terms of, um, for magicians, it is a really good magic show. There's a lot of very, very strong magic. I got fooled several times. Uh, it was very entertaining. It was very cool. But I would say for non-magicians, it was a very, it was a, it was, you know, some of the highest level magic they could go and see. And I often talk about representing magic in a very cool, artistic, interesting way for non-magic audiences. Uh, because often the magic that is, you know, put in big stages, like the Pantages or something, is very, very, very commercial, very right over the plate. So if you're not a magician, um, this is the exact kind of magic I want you to be seeing. This is just an elevated form of what does exist, really good card magic, you know? And, and, and so... I really appreciated that. Yeah, for me it was kind of gay. So um, <laughs> well, we'll see you next week, everybody. <laughs> I mean, you know, I didn't see any cups and balls. This wasn't magic to me, right? No, uh, I, I liked it a lot. I, uh, I mean, it, I, this is what I will say: it, it, there is no way that Helder has seen in and of itself, um, because. There are, and I think that's good. I think this is a very good show, and I'm I'm glad that. Actually, I will say this: it's it's, it could be a demonstration of a true like artistic belief in yourself that maybe he has seen that show, and still wants to tell a specific story in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I actually think that would be a pretty, um, very like uh, self assured thing to be like, you know what, somebody's done something. I have something that's bears some similarities to that show, but I believe in my own. Thing. You know, much like if I were to make a trick where I had a video camera and then the hands changed and you told me that someone else had done it at Magic Live, <laughs> then I would be like, you know what? I have my own twist on it that I, you know, I could, I'm confident enough in my own skills. Did to, you did you just use this entire three-hour show just to justify, justify copying someone else's art? <laughs> I mean, what could be more magic than that? <laughs> um, fair. Uh, I, well, let me, can I ask you a broader question about that exact topic? Yes. Um... I think this is something with comedians that is very important. I've heard several comedians talk about this in very conflicting ways. As a comedian, do you try to... Do you try to distance yourself from what's out there such that you don't find yourself being too influenced and kind of hindering your creative abilities? Or do you try to uh, consume everything you can find to just be so on the pulse of what is out there, what exists, what's popular, what's working? I've heard people say, like, no, I avoid it as much as possible. Um, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. But I've heard in an interview Roy Wood Jr., who I think is a terrific comedian, um, say, like, I watch every single thing I can find because right. I have to know. And he doesn't want to, like, do the same setup or premise as somebody else. Right, and, and so I think those are both different sides of the coin where you're getting to the same thing of, like, how can I be the most authentic artist through completely opposite opposite ways. This could potentially be one of, you know, those... It could go either way. It could be I don't see what else is out there. It could be I do and want to try to distance myself from it or feel secure enough in my show that I don't have to worry about that. I don't consume everything just because I don't like everything. Like, Mm -hmm. my tastes just don't... I just can't watch, like, a Rodney Carrington stand-up special or something like that. Don't even know who that is. Uh, Yeah. He's, He's a guy who, in 2018, put out a special on Netflix with, like, Chinese small dick jokes oh um what's 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 offensive about that yeah i mean it's true so (laughs) how can the facts be offensive right um but for example i know that it would be hard for me not to be influenced by i think you should leave right like the two weeks after watching that when i did stand i mean uh, improv Uh improv at ucb i like the next night I played a character that was like Jane what what are we doing here at this restaurant <laughs> like it was just like it was it, while I was doing it I was like oh this is like I've, I don't even what character what I don't know but I was just doing a cantankerous um like a cantankerous blind huge blind spot character that felt very Tim Robinson-y oh sure um however 
some I, I can see a point of knowing about what's out there because for example um, Patton Oswalt stopped doing a bit he had about I think he, it was about the KFC Bowl or Hot Pockets I can't remember what it was but he's basically he was like Jim Gaffigan has a better bit about this uh-huh. that has been on a special I'm going to stop doing this bit right um, as another example there's a joke in I believe Kung Fu Panda 2 sure that is this where, generation Citizen Kane that's right they call it um, baby where, you yeah I love Kung Fu Panda, but in Kung Fu Panda 2 or 3, I think it's in 2, there's a joke where, um, I believe it's the Gary Oldman Peacock character, is yelling at Jack Black's panda, and he's so far away he can't hear him. And so it's a really funny joke. They do the same joke in Shazam. And, uh, and The superhero movie. Yes, okay. the one that just came out. Which unfortunately I missed in theaters. And it's, it, a heard, very, it's a great I joke. I heard it was great. But they do that joke oh. again, and then I just watched... Like in the seventh or eighth episode of Barry this season, they did the same joke again. Mm. Like almost the same exact setup, which is a guy is yelling at another guy, telling him about his plans, and the physical distance between them is so far that the other guy can't hear what he's saying. And uh, what's interesting is I think I have not watched um, the season of Barry yet, but it sounds like from those first two, those are uh, both villains yelling to the protagonist. Uh, yes, it is. Uh, uh, the, the Shazam one is very similar. The Barry one's a little different, but it's it's a play on the same concept. Right. So, um, I don't think it's spoiling to say that there's a couple of moments in this show that are very similar to other moments that we've seen in shows. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it seems like in Magic there's less of a concern about that. About, like... Um, like at the castle, I'm pretty sure they make sure that people aren't doing the same effects in one night. They right? try to, but often that's impossible to to, to meet. I mean, everybody's got a lion. Close up gallery, parlor, right? Palace. They're all they all got their lion. Lion, yeah. It's um, a bitch getting that lion back there, by the way. Yeah. Um. But it, there is not as much in magic, right? If you s- see someone doing an effect, that you have to take it out of your act. Do you think, or, uh, or is that something you would do that a lot of people don't do? Um, what do you mean? Like you have, um, like you have to say, I don't understand the premise of your question. Yeah. Uh, I was, I'm trying to understand the premise of your question. Um, like if you have a, mm, like a card trick that's like a pretty core piece of your close-up set of what you would consider your close-up twenty minutes, mm-hmm. let's say, and then you go to the castle and you see someone basically do the same thing. Is there a part of you that's like, I need to not do that anymore? Or are you trying to develop pieces that are really your own that you can't, that you wouldn't go see someone do exactly the same? Right. It's um, back to what I always say. It's that uh, I, I would, if I saw something similar, my first question would be, all right, how different are these? How, how different is this thing that I'm doing or that I'm working on, right? Um, number two, it would be... Uh, like I've said many times on this podcast, and it's because it's something I think about very often, it's I, I I don't want to ever be in a situation where I can divorce the actual content of the magic I'm doing from myself as a performer. So then I have to look at it in the context of if these routines are similar, and I, I've never re- you know I don't rip I'm not ripping anyone off, so it's not like I have to worry about like oh did I steal that from you know, um, I then ask myself well all right, am I uh, am I be still, as, as my performance of this, as myself as a performer, still uh, unique, in, you know, in this in this uh, effect. Like I've always said, it can, you know, at the end of that show, can I can I answer, or will it be clear to the audience that exactly what they saw as it was seen had to be done by me, or else it would be right. a very different experience. Right. That's what I consider. But then also, I will look at like. Um, if something's really popular, I try to avoid it. You know, uh, hug kill is a great effect. Right. Um, you know, I have nothing for that other than the fact that it's good. Uh, it's right. a good effect, right? I've seen, I think it's a Tom Stone trick. Uh, I've seen a lot of people, a lot of good performers do it. From from what I can think off the top of my head, the best one is the Brekkies. Yeah, because it fits his character. It fits his character. He has this great, incredibly subtle joke with a tarp that he lays down. That uh, it's very odd when s- some other magic personas do hug kill, because the kill part is like what? Like, well, that's how the trick was published. That's how, I, that well, is, no, no. But what I'm saying is, I think that's an odd fit for a lot of people. Oh, sure. Characters, it's not. It's great for Zabrecki. Right. 
yes, that that I definitely agree with. And I mean, I think that that that's my favorite Zabrecki joke. Probably is where he comes out, puts on a tarp, talks for a while, you forget about it, and then when he hugs instead of kills this person, and they walk off stage, the last thing he does is he picks up like this plastic tarp. Now you get the payoff of it. It's, <laughs> right. It's, it's it's brilliant. There, you know, that trick has been done to pieces, and it's great, and it's fun, it's entertaining. Um, for me, that is not creatively stimulating to go like, well, let me uh, let me take my whack at it, right? Um, because it's done so much. Do you also find it like not necessarily that interesting to be like, what are two other words I could say? You know. Yeah, because at that point, how much am I changing really? Right. Um, you know, like uh, Justin Willman has a version of the trick that is just different words. Um, that fits his character, I think. Right. Uh, so I think that at time it is a somewhat of a justified change. His, uh, say, hug and anal. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> which I believe he was actually told, like, oh, you can't do that at the castle. Like, someone pulled him aside, like, that's too much. Because he tried and he did it one night. <laughs> but that is a time where, like, his character, that that's sort of, like, very, like, John Mulaney or Pete Holmes in the way that you watch them and you kind of think they're clean. They're very clean cut. Right. They're actually kind of dirty. Uh that that is sort of I think the Justin Willman character as I perceive it. So I think that is a that is a time where that change does sort of justify it for his character a bit more. Right. Um, because it, it it does it's not just like oh I changed it so it's different, but it also kind of fits who he is and is authentic to him in some yeah. way. Anyway, back to this show though. Um, uh, well, one of the questions. Well, it's weird because he did hug kill three times. Yeah, he did three different times. Yeah. Um, Seemed excessive. Right. And he got killed all three times. He yeah. murdered three people. Yeah, it was rough. So we're on our way to the police station now to fill out a report. Um, <laughs> uh, just a missing property report. I, yeah. I lost my uh, yeah, he iPhone, lost his, iPhone case. His iPhone. Not the iPhone, just <laughs> the, the case. case. <laughs> they left behind the phone. Yeah. Um, um, so can I ask my other question? Yeah, you sure. want to get, uh, no, no, So my, my question was, uh, the, the house lights were not too dark. So I spent quite a bit of time looking at the audience and seeing how certain things were playing out. Ah, okay. We would go into a classic, um, or, or what I could tell was leading to a classic effect, like a triumph. There was a triumph in the like, show. Side note, I don't, remember when I was like, I'm kind of tired of, I don't really like spelling tricks. Uh-huh. I don't, I think the new replacement for that is, I don't love poker deals. Sure, neither do I. Um, I like, he, I like one maybe. Yeah, there was a 10 card poker deal in that, which is done very well, uh, very convincing. Yeah. Um, that is something I got from a Boris Wilde lecture. We did a 10-card poker deal, but these blank cards that with other properties on them, um, I think it was basically like five of the cards said $20 on it, and five of them were blank. Uh, and for every, face down, every 20 you dealt to yourself, you would get $20, and you get dealt nothing, and he, the magician gets dealt you know, all five $20 cards, and they get to keep the 100 bucks. Uh, and, and the idea was like, when you're making a, a routine about... When you're making a routine about... Um, Poker, you're already alienating people in the audience who don't know or like or care about poker. Right. Um, oh, so you were watching other people. So I was watching other people, and I was just kind of seeing like, oh, this sort of classic, you know, this is a big, uh, big not magic audience, not magic savvy audience watching really high level card magic. I'm curious to see how they respond. For instance, how will they respond to um, 80 minutes of? only card magic, right. right? And they responded quite well. They, they really enjoyed the show. Uh-huh. Um, I, I didn't see any, like, card magic fatigue or anything, and I think that is a... Which, would, which uh, the external signs would be just, like, open crying. Right. A lot of screaming <laughs> or something. Rending of garments. So, well, specifically, there was a type of magic that I think about, and, uh, and this is why I don't want to get too much into what the effect is, because I don't want to spoil the fun for anyone who hasn't seen it, and I do recommend you go to see it. But there are more than one time to varying degrees of scale where uh, information is revealed to have, you know, been a certain way the entire show that he could not have known before that show started. Is that, is that fair to say? Is that uh, clear to you what I'm talking about? Yes. A couple times he goes, look at this, you know, like, uh, look at this thing that is here in uh, set up a certain way in the show and there was absolutely no way to know that things were going to line up this way as our predicted on stage. There were a couple of times that I thought about the, like, things being too perfect kind of idea. Right, and that's what I'm about to get at. Yeah. So I, uh, so I thought, oh, that was interesting. So, like, he would, he would reveal something basically along the lines of, like, look, uh, this, you know, this thing is written here, and there's no way before two minutes ago that I could have known this information. Right. And there's a couple of those, and they, they build and scale each time he does them. 
And so I was very interested in, in paying attention to the audience reaction to see if they're what that yeah what that immediate are, reaction was. Are they was. going to like think to themselves? Okay, there's really only one. There's only a couple ways they could, that this could have been achieved. Exactly. Like, are they going to the like too perfect? Like, well, I guess it's this. Right, and it didn't seem like they did. Yeah. What, what was your take on that? I mean, I felt I was doing that, but I also yes. felt like it was well received by the audience. I think it. I, I felt it was, uh, and I kind of went to the side of it that it was genuinely just like, oh, this is, th- this is a fun. Like, there's a thing that happens near the end that's not necessarily traditional magic, but it has to do with something that's not him. Um, I'm talking about. I'm pointing at this. Oh, um, yes. That is, to me, I don't think it's that hard to think about how that could have been achieved, mm-hmm. but it was a delightful moment. Yes, that was a very success. That That is a time where I think the raw power of magic, of the magic of the effect, uh, took a backseat to the theatrical implications. And the like... And, was, and successfully so. And the joy of being fooled. The genuine enjoyment of the audience being like, oh, wow, you right. really got me with that one. And I will say, uh, tell me afterwards if we should cut this, but that, <laughs> that is a time where, um, that is a time where I, I love the type of magic that uh, doesn't have a physical cover that kind of happens in front of you. Yes, um, yes, yes. You know? Oh, no, I think it's fine. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that, um, I think what I loved about the joy of that moment was just like, oh, it's so simple how that could have been done, and I just was just completely fooled because I made so many assumptions about so many things in this room. Right. Based on just the, I love the, you know, one thing I, I'm loving about like a lot of modern, even Instagram visual magic, is that it's bypassing sort of rational parts of you and just being like, look, your lizard brain is going to misunderstand this effect, even if I tell you exactly what I'm doing you will not get it right. Mm-hmm. And that was also an example of, like, we have so much conditioning built into the way we relate to things. Right, I absolutely that, like, love that type of thing. So it doesn't matter how jaded you are. That was that probably fooled every single person in the room. You're talking about this thing still? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, the, We're pointing at an object in my car on our way back yeah, that is, represents that effect. It is a banana that was supposed to be a bandana. Yes. Um, <laughs> we should just that, call this that, <laughs> podcast. <laughs> oh my God, that caught me off guard. I couldn't even like yes and that with you. It just it was too funny. Um, the, the things that you're talking about, those moments, were kind of in a realm that I generally don't like. Um, but even then, I was kind of like, you know what, it's... Um, well, because those are times where I felt that, and again, successfully, I think, but those were times where the the the, the driving seat, uh, what was in the driving seat, so I'm making a bunch of driving metaphors, uh, what was in the dri- <laughs> <laughs> um, what was in the, the sort of the driver's seat of that moment was the magic, not the theater, right? Uh, I will just say, Wendy, uh, that was... Um, that was a moment of magic, not necessarily a moment of theater, the way that this thing that we're pointing yes, at yes, was. Yes, 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 yes. I agree with that. Uh, oh, God, a lot of you know, almost accidents tonight. I know. We Jeez, were cursed Louise. by the show, I think. Yeah, the show talks heavily <laughs> about a car accident that uh, that Helder was in. That's um, not a spoiler. I would like to He relate. died and is a ghost. Is that a spoiler? Is that a spoiler that he's a ghost the whole time? <laughs> we're watching a ghost. Um, Bruce Willis was great in this, by the I way. I understand. If he's a ghost, how is he going to spend the money that the Gevin gives him? Yeah, um, that's the existential torture he's in. Uh, by the way, this is also a show that magicians would love to have done because, like, amazing venue... Right. Warm, warm, a pretty warm, uncynical crowd, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. They, uh, they and were also along for the ride. Pretty respectable ticket prices. Yes. Um, now, I want to relate one thing that happened in the Q&A, which I, I don't think we mentioned, which I did think was funny. So there was a Q&A. Both Chris and myself asked questions, actually. Yes. And there was a moment where I felt John cringe next to me. Yes. When someone else asked a question. Yes. Oh, boy. I, I, you, I out loud muttered, oh, my God. Because it was really uncomfortable. It was so funny to me. And I think we were probably the only two people in the room. Who understood it. Understood it outside of Helder and, you know, his wife. Yeah. So, um, at the Geffen, what, what 18 months ago? Uh, uh, no, we longer well, than that. We I talked say, earlier in, in the first half of the podcast about how... Three years ago. Um, Derek Delgado did in and of itself here at the Geffen. Right. And there were 
there was a, an effect in that that's similar to an effect in this show. And an audience member said, weren't you here like a couple years ago and you did like a similar thing with this th- X, Y, and Z? Oh, boy. And what was interesting was the Geffen moderator was also like, oh, I don't remember. And it was interesting to... It's a good test of Helder's ga- game poker face to see if he really didn't know what the guy was talking about or not. But basically, the guy had mistaken Derek Delgado's solo show for this show. Yeah. And thought he was the same guy. And I really wanted to follow up with, like, an additional... Right. I, I, if I had the balls... Wasn't your name Derek? Yeah. Last time, I swear, <laughs> your name was Derek Delgado. If, if I had the balls, the next three questions would have been in and of itself specific. Like, <laughs> didn't last time I, like, picked an occupation... And then at the end, you told me what I was. (laughs) Um, Just to, like... Because that is generally something I'm curious about. But anyway, I just thought that was very funny. Right. Um, I think it's a great show. Um, Yeah, really good. um, And uh, I have a feeling it will probably, like, live here for a little while and then also go to New York. I think it's got... Yeah, I think it's got, like, a must-close on June 30th. Here. Yeah, I I don't know that it has the opportunity to be extended. I actually do... I'm not positive. Don't quote me on that. I bet it will... I also don't know exactly where Kingsley is, so tell me when to turn. Oh, anywhere in these laps, yeah. Oh, okay. My, my phone says Kingsley, but I don't know where that is. Uh, uh, it'll be the light. Oh, the light. Yeah. Cool. Let's just tell everyone exactly where my home address is. Right. Um, I'm not going to say what it is. It's 45 vote. <laughs> yeah, I don't really care. <laughs> if you live in L.A., come knock on my door. In fact, do it in the next month. I'll be in Australia. Uh, um, come rob my house. Who's watching your cats? Uh, we A friend of ours from Orlando is looking to move out here. Oh, cool. So he's going to stay at our place while he looks for uh, an apartment. Oh, neato. Um, so my feeling is if you're on the East Coast, I bet it will be on the East Coast eventually. Yeah, I, I'm I'm, sh- I'm shocked. I'd be shocked if it, if it, if it doesn't make it out there. Um, and I would say any of our ma- magician friends, go see it so we can all talk about what we think happened. Right. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, and, and yeah, this is the, definitely a show that I'm going to recommend. I'm probably going to post about this on Facebook tomorrow to recommend it. Um, I think really though, my recommendation is going to be more skewed towards non-magicians yeah. than magicians. Magicians should go see it and they'll enjoy it. But this is the kind of, sh- this is the kind of thing that I, I need. I talk about this on the podcast all the time. I need public audiences to see. I need that to be where the, the expectation, the, the expectation not not necessarily that quality because that's a very high quality is one of the oh it's the next one yeah uh it's a very high quality show Uh, i'm not saying like every show needs to be that good though we should be striving for that just in terms of it was really 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 uh this one oh it's the next one no next one um it was very high quality magic uh done very artfully and very thoughtfully and i i really enjoyed that so if you're a magician and you want to go see it try to find like you know Find your non-magician buddy and and try to get them to go to because I think this is the kind of well, thing. Well, and then be prepared for them to just pepper you with questions about how it was done. Yes, um, uh, I would say pro tip: I would look way out in the month and try to get the cheapest tickets for the show. Yes, because it is the seating is very audience friendly, mm-hmm. and I really don't think it's necessary to be in the any. All the seats seemed very good. Yeah, we could have sat in the back row. Uh, I'll grant it we bought our tickets last minute and these are the only two available luckily yeah. but um, we could have if we had bought more t- bought uh, earlier we could have bought tickets much further back and actually have been fine for yeah uh, I would recommend you do that mm-hmm. um, so we're going to get some more podcasts to you I'll be in Australia but we're going to try to do maybe we'll do some uh, yeah we haven't banked one we haven't we'll, banked any we'll figure it out we'll, so, we'll bank some maybe and we'll also maybe do some solo air, ones yeah, or yeah. maybe maybe a little Robert Ramirez guest yeah. hosting um, yeah uh, and and then, uh, I'm also going to try to track down some magicians in Sydney. Well. Cool. Oh, you know what? And I've actually uh, got a lead on that for you. Oh, I, cool. I, I texted Simon and, and asked about Sydney magicians, and he said he'd be able to hook you up. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, we'll see you next time. See you next time. Go see the show. You've been listening to The Setup, discussions of comedy and magic. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please follow us on Instagram at setuppodcast. Shoot us an email. Our email is setuppod at gmail.com. That's setup uh, with two Ps. Um setup podcast yeah yeah. that wasn't clear uh we also have a facebook page that is just the setup discussions and magic and comedy Uh, also please give us a rating on itunes on um, itunes podcast 
uh, give us a five-star rating, let people know you're enjoying it. That will go a long way. And if you're really enjoying it and you really want to support us, give us uh, a little bit of a donation on our Patreon. Become a subscriber of this podcast. Yeah, we don't have a Patreon, John. God, you have to tell me these things before we record this. Now, All right, just stop or stop.